Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asper Studios. Today on the show, are you somebody who has ADHD and has trouble keeping or finding work and want to know what, what's next? Well, my next guest, Shell Mendelson, is an ADHD career coach who can help you with all those things. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with my co-host, Ashley Simpkins, and... Hi. And Shell Mendelson. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. So, Shell, not a problem. So, Shell, I always like to start off my show by asking my guests, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, my official title is ADHD Career Coach. Um, and how I arrived at that was after a diagnosis very late in life and having worked in the field that I'm currently working in with, with neurotypical people for 32 years. Um, and when I got my diagnosis, it, everything shifted. Uh, I, as with many people, when they get their diagnosis, a lot of questions are answered, a lot of feelings. We run through a lot of feelings about oh, no wonder, asking yourself why this happened or why that happened and everything making sense. But for me, it was like, I'm not alone. And now there's a whole group of people out there that need my help and that I can really help them with because I understand their brain, how our brains work. Mm -hmm. And I can make a real, real difference here. I always felt that my work was uh, about making a difference and purposeful, which I think is very important. And we can get into that a little bit. But why we need that. We need that kind of feeling of purpose. But when I, when I got the diagnosis and I started connecting with my, with the community of other ADHD professionals and uh, individuals, everything changed for me, everything shifted. And I've been happily working with my ADHD audience, (laughs) (laughs) followers, people that really need this kind of direction some work help with their direction for uh since 2010 so i'm i'm i've never gotten bored okay one of the things i'm sure we're going to talk about is get feeling bored on the job never been bored always excited always interested always passionate well i'm well beyond retirement uh but my background essentially is that i started out in this uh over 32 years ago I was trained uh, after I got my master's degree in counseling. I worked as a voc rehab counselor for 10 years. And then I uh, always had been a What Color Is Your Parachute follower of Richard Bowles and finally decided I was going to get trained, the training that he offered uh, career coaches. So I, or counselors, I was both a career counselor and a career coach. So I got that training and I never looked back. I found the format that worked for me. And again, this was before I was diagnosed. And I always wondered, why is this format the one that really works for me and the one that I want to use with other people? Whereas there are a lot of other formats out there for trying to figure out what kind of career one should be doing. And this was the one that really stuck with me. 
I love it. I am a big supporter. Uh, he died in 2017. Uh, from my perspective, Air Parachute has changed a little bit. I have stayed in connection with his wife, who who uh, basically is the uh, she has the foundation, and we talk quite a bit. Lots of other stuff going on that maybe we'll maybe I'll share with you if it comes up. But that's pretty much it. All right, you said you that is. Um, you had said that you were diagnosed. How late in life were you diagnosed? Oh boy, do you really want to know? Um, now I have to share my age, don't I? Uh, I was 59 when I was diagnosed, uh, so I was quite, I had been through uh, working in this field, but I also took a few steps in different directions as. Many people with ADHD know how understand that our minds are very creative. You, there are lots of entrepreneurs that kind of come out of our tribe within our tribe. People who start businesses and things and have ideas. Mostly, we have lots of ideas, right? Well, one of those mm -hmm. ideas stuck, and I started a franchise system. And I was still working with clients uh, in career counseling for a, for a bit, but. This became a real full-time endeavor that I took on. And I did that for several years, actually. We ended up, uh, it was called Kids Arts, a, a children art franchise. And I became interested in doing that when my son was very young. And I was seeing art being pulled out of the schools. And being entrepreneurial, I said, well, where, how can we train people to have their own businesses in art and teach art to people? And I had a, a friend who was an artist that I had known since childhood. She was an incredible artist. And we just kind of came together and started this company, which later became a franchise. It didn't start out immediately that way. And we ended up with 39 franchises. I mean, sorry, 62, I think, franchises in 39 states and in 15 countries. And I was very proud of that. And many children... The idea was learning how to draw without having any artistic background. So every child felt capable of being an artist and build, building confidence was our main, that was the main thing. But what I learned doing that about myself was that I really did not want to, I love putting the company together. I think a few people will relate to this, putting all the pieces together, getting the pe people involved. Uh, getting the concept down, the format down, even selling the franchises. I was really good at it because I was very passionate about it. And uh, extending it internationally. I love all the pieces that I love doing became overwhelmed by the day-to-day -day corporate environment that I had created. What you have to, if you're going to be a company, eventually it goes into this corporate structure. And it was that's where uh, being undiagnosed, I didn't recognize how much I despised being in that role of CEO, right? Mm -hmm. And I just despised, I hated being a CEO. I did not want to be, I love putting everything, I love the founder aspect of it. But when it got to the day to day, everything went to poop, right? And the people that I work with, it became a stressful kind of environment. I was the only 
person with ADHD, even though I was undiagnosed, I always wondered why I was different. I was different from everybody. I think people can recognize that when you're among a group of neurotypical people, they can all seem to get stuff done in a certain way all over the map. But I was always seemed to be right about things, you know, about how the business should go. And when I started feeling very uh, overwhelmed and just like anybody in a job that they don't like anymore, that not good things happen. So that's what happened to me. And I finally, it ended, but not in a good way. Uh, it, it was really a very stressful, traumatic time in my life. But I'm very proud of what we accomplished. Mm -hmm. And I will always know that the, it impacted thousands of children around the world. It was really ultimately a very good thing. But for me personally, it became an albatross. And uh, it, I lost a lot of friends, including my best friend at the time. So it really was not a good situation that way. It was, uh, there was a lot of trauma. And that's when I kind of went crawling to the bookshelf. Uh, and my, I had a, a therapist friend who sent me a book on ADD. <laughs> it was probably Hallowell or Amen, one of those people. It was sitting on my bookshelf and I literally, for some reason, was hit my rock bottom, went crawling to that shelf and pulled it off, went through the checklist and went, oh my gosh, this is me, right? That recognition. And so I went and got the diagnosis and everything changed at that point. Uh, I went through the usual feelings that we have, which are the grief, period of grief, mm -hmm. and then the period of, um, thank goodness I'm not alone a little bit of relief, a little bit of grief, and a little bit of everything. But everything changed at that point uh, for the better. And I was very glad to be out of that situation. And when I started doing the career coaching again, with my first client, I be it was like I had seen the light. Everything was amazing for it. Yeah, I just loved the work. It was a big relief. I came, It was like coming home which is what I think when you're in the right, doing the right kind of work, it's the right fit. It's like coming home. And mm -hmm. that was how I felt. So I don't know. I think maybe I took a little bit longer explaining all that, but no, that's all right. well, it so sounds really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that story where they start out in the job they think they love. And then all of a sudden halfway through it, it's like, I'm not happy here. And I don't, and they don't know why until later, why. until yeah. later they get their diagnosis and like, oh, that explains everything. It's my, AD, it's my ADHD. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like me in school. I, my parents were getting calls when I was in high school saying he could not focus. He sit, could not sit still in any class except for one. And my parents did not know why of this, of course, until later on i got diagnosed with adhd and it's just like a light bulb went off in their head and it's like it that explains it all right what was the one class general science so you must like science yes i mean i remember the teacher's name and i remember he used to always have a saying that goes if you don't know what you know then you don't know anything at all the teacher's <laughs> name was daniel stewart so the right teacher, the right subject. There you go. Yep. So I'm sure Ashley's got some questions as well. Yeah. Um, so 
what do you provide the clients in the weekly sessions? I saw that you do like a, a package for four weeks. Um, well, right now, the baseline for working with me is my master class. Right, is, the master class. That's essentially what I do with people uh, for eight weeks, uh, which gets them to the point of working with me one-on-one -on -one if that's what they choose to do. Although some people don't need to at that point. Oh, it's so it's, a it's an actual class. It's a Zoom. It's done by Zoom. And it's uh, we have a curriculum and a workbook. It's what It's based on what colors your parachute tweaked extensively by me for people with ADHD. And we go through all the process of identifying all the areas that make would make up your ideal work or the work that you closely align with the most and would allow you to be who you are essentially in the workplace and not hide yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, and for some people, it means doing self-employment of some kind as well, a lot of people with ADHD do choose to work on your own, right, Reid? I mean, you know, yeah. I totally, yeah. I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm a, a mental health counselor, and I was a coach for a really long time, and I deal with adults with Aspergers and parents with children on the spectrum. And I will say, you know, it, it has so much to do with. There's a lot of entrepreneurship in it. Like you were exactly. saying, exactly. it seems to be even with Asperger's, the answer is always make your own business, be create your right. own, your own brand, yeah. because that is literally the only way we can succeed, you know, and we can do so yeah. well in it. That's mm -hmm. the kicker. I mean, look at Elon mm. Musk. And never get bored. No. Yeah, and never get bored. Exactly. I, mean, I have a good friend who I went to one day who's very big in YouTube in the autism and need with autism and everything. And I went to him because I got a friend who's struggling. I'm like, what do I tell him? And he's like, tell him to find something he loves and do it until someone hires him to do that exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the, so the, the piece that I work with is the finding the something you love part, mm -hmm. the what, the what part of it. So we're tackling that question. What is it? What is it? What is it? And it's always about our true preferences, the things that mean the mm -hmm. most to us. And that's the part where a lot of people struggle with because they don't, they sometimes feel guilty about saying what, what's really important for them, uh, feeling like there's that, what's that term about being a fake person or whatever? Masking? Uh, uh, no, it's, it's, why can't I think of it? It's where they don't think they're being themselves, but they really are. They're not allowed to be who they are in the workplace. They don't get the support they need in the workplace to do those things. They're, if if uh, people know their diagnosis, they might side-eye them or think they're getting favored or getting favored mm -hmm. for some reason. There's so many things that go on. Uh, but the biggest question is, what is it that I really, really want to be doing? Mm -hmm. And being authentic about that, being real about that, and most of all, unapologetic. Why do you feel that those with ADHD struggle trying to find what they love to do? Well, let's face it, there's no clear, you didn't get a roadmap for doing that. No one teaches you how to figure this stuff out, right? It's not, I mean, was there a class in school that said, take this class and you're going to, before you make a decision about what college you want to go to, or even if you want to go to college or what major you want to take uh, no. in school, 
any of that or what things are you truly interested in truly mm-hmm. and in a way done in a way that isn't comparing you with other people it's just really getting at who you are there's no roadmap for that it doesn't exist out there well i do it that's what i do so mm-hmm. I, this is the gap part of it that really helps to clarify and define and to su- get support to believe in yourself that and know that there are realistically ways that you can have that. But until you know, first of all, what you want, you'll never get there. It's kind of like trying to, to say, uh, I want not know what kind of house you want and go house comp- hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Not know if you want a two bedroom or a three bedroom, or if you want to know uh, where you want to live, what, what the schools are, what kind of neighborhood it is, blah, blah, blah. Just going out, house hunting with no direction whatsoever. That's kind of where most people in this country, not just with, uh, not just neurodiverse, all of us, right? Everybody mm-hmm. is kind of left with that. The diff- And that's what I, I did with uh, neurotypical people as well as neurodiverse people for so many years until I got my diagnosis. And then I said, I want to have the most fun possible for me. And that's working with my community that's more, even more fun for me and even more inspiring for me. And yet the message is still there. I still try and get the message out to everybody, but we don't have that roadmap, right? right. Uh, so I mean, th- that needs to be there. There needs to be, in my opinion, it should be required before you go out of, get out of high school, certainly before you go on to pick a major, it should be required that you have some kind of way to sift and sort opportune possibilities, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what I do. I mean, it's, you're right. It is confusing. I mean, when you're in high school and they sit you down and go, okay, here's all the classes you can take for the next four years before you graduate. It's like you look at it and your head just starts spinning because you don't know what you want to take. You don't know what you like at that point. There was, um, there was actually when when I was in high school, they made us take a four hour career test that highlighted, you know, what after taking the entire test of what we would be good at. And it gave us three options. And I'll tell you, it was for me, it was validating. But for a lot of people, it really made them feel terrible because they were getting options that were like way lower than what they actually wanted to be doing with their life. Okay, I'll tell you what happened to me when I was 19. I was so lost at that age that my mom sent me to a a therapist or a psychiatrist who gave me one of those tests. And you know, he sat me down and looked me right in the eye and you know what he said? You should be a florist. Oh Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Mm. I just walked out of there disgusted. And I think that was kind of may have been a little bit of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now. It's that when they give you these assessments, they're comparing you to other people Mm -hmm. who are answering questions similar to you rather than you taking a deeper dive to really understanding who you are, what your real preferences are compared to no one else at all. And then allowing you to really feel supported and to own those preferences unapologetically. I think that's the key. 
I do wonder, what do you do about people who are lacking the education that they need to do what they want to do? Well, part of what comes out of this is, do you need any kind of training or education? You might need to, to, you might, it might turn out that you have a very strong interest in something. And I asked this before we even get started. Are you, if it turns out that you, it's very clear that this is the direction you should go in. Are you willing to get what the training that you need to get there? And almost everyone says yes. So if anything, it's a way to identify exactly what kind of training you need. And it doesn't always mean college. You can do it and you might get certifications or go to an online class or a Udemy kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, or, or do an in, find a very specific kind of internship. And it just clarifies to you what you need to, to get there. What do you need to do to get to where you want to be? Is and it that, the master? Is it your master class where they learn this stuff? And even when I work with people, I don't work with people before they've taken the master class. I don't care what, what, who you are. I work with people with double PhDs. I work with executives. I work with everyone. They all take the class. It's, it's a, it, because it gets to the baseline of where you want to, what direction you want to take, right? So I, after that, if they want to continue working with me, sometimes people, it goes fairly quickly. It's, it's fairly, um, I say it's like on steroids a little bit. <laughs> so, so you do, it does go fairly quickly. And I only work with six people at a time. So what that does is gives them uh, a, a group of people that become their support system. They also become the people that help them make their first connections, their network. And they under, once you understand the language of parachute, they can speak it with each other. And I put them what I considered to be at like a career bubble and I tell them do not speak with anyone even your spouse or your significant other your friends your family anyone who's not the only people during the eight week that you talk about what you're coming up with in this class are other people in this class right uh, and that's often a big relief right so, so if their spouses or their significant other whatever tells ask them well what's going on they can say, well, my coach specifically instructed me not to have the conversation until the eight, after the eight weeks. It's kind of a relief. They get to now explore fully without any type of judgment. True. Because you know other, other people are going to chime in and go, well, and if, if it seems in the least bit threatening to a, a significant other, then they could maybe talk you out of it and you don't mm -hmm. get a chance to really be, to really explore what it is, you know, what really it is. And just when you figure out, I call it the cream rising to the top, the cream begins to rise to the top. You, you come in with lots of ideas. Uh, I don't know, Ashley, you said you looked at the website and it says you have lots of ideas, but no, don't know how to basically sift and sort, suss them out. Once those ideas, it starts with lots of ideas and, it, and then you start to see repetition over and over of information that comes out of this and you start to uh, identify areas that you start, maybe start to feel a little bit of like, yeah, I really thought about doing this years ago and I just shoved it aside because mm -hmm. I didn't think it'd be practical. Or I didn't think I'd make any money. That's the biggest one. I'm not going to make any money at it. When you start asking your questions like that, it's called this 
Bowles calls it the safekeeping self. And that's a part of us that stops ourselves from really just simply exploring, simply asking questions, simply talking to people mm -hmm. who are doing the things that we're interested in to find out what, what it would take to move to the next level and maybe think about doing something like this. And also bringing along all of the skills that we have that we, we enjoy using. And that's the first thing we tackle or what are those skills? You notice I didn't say strengths. And the reason I don't say strengths is that very often people get pigeonholed when they have a strength. And if like if an employer says, oh, you're so good at doing this, I think I'll have you do this eight hours a day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that could be the kiss of death for a person with ADHD, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, or basically any neurodiverse person. I think we all, you know, have very similar uh, issues when it comes to being feeling bored and feeling all those other things, right? Those are those are universal things, and uh, so we get we we start out with you know having all these ideas, and slowly the information starts repeating, and start you start to get more ideas, and then you start talking to people. That's part of the class. It's not it's very not only interactive, but it's also research oriented and online research and people research. So you are the next level is to actually talk to people and talk to organizations and maybe go to a luncheon or a meeting of an organization to find out what the other people are like, you know, whether you connect with them or not. So that's that it's a very hands on kind of deeper dive process. And I think that's really needed. Mm -hmm. All the while, we're struggling with that safekeeping self piece that says, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. And that that we talk about a lot. And I see that I expect that to happen. That's kind of where my expertise comes in, in terms of supporting people and getting people at least to the next level so that they can, it's still always going to be there. It's always going to be there for all of us in some area of our lives, but with career, it can literally stop you from taking, even doing mm -hmm. research on something, even just doing some online research, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it can stop you like, oh, there's no way. And there's so much more to it that I can't really get. <laughs> it would take <laughs> hours and hours. We'd have, you'd have to sort of go through the whole thing. But the idea is that you basically are learning about who you are and what you want and what's going to work for you in the long run in terms of selecting the right fit that will take you to the expansiveness and the creativity and uh, lack of boredom, excitement, energy, all those things that we want in our work, right? Mm -hmm. So you that's how so how do you deal with um, with clients who come to you who can't afford the services for the master class? Well, it's not it's not cheap, right? Yeah. But it's it's pretty much what regular coaches charge for only I just combined it into two months. So it's really not any more expensive. In mm. fact, most people most people think I should be charging a lot more. But I know that it's either you have the money or you don't. And yeah. what, I say, what I say is, 
I'm not, that's why I'm doing podcasts because I want people just to get, if they can, I, I like, I want to get the word out there that there is a way to, to do this. Another thing that I'm doing is, uh, and you're the first ones to know about this because I just talked to these people yesterday, but I've always wanted to do a workbook similar mm -hmm. to the one I use. That's a parachute workbook that talks about my parachute journey, uses aspects of uh, parachute in it only for the neurodiverse ADHD community, uh, very specific to our community. And I'm going to be starting work on that in the next week or so. So that will be out there and available nice. for people for like 15 bucks, you know? Nice. So, and I, yeah, there are lots of ways to get, to get the information, to go through the mm -hmm. process is a little bit different, but it's still, you, it's still good to just get that in your head that it's possible. These possibilities are out there. Why do you yeah, feel? Yeah, I asked because, oh, sorry, Reed. <laughs> okay. I was just saying that I asked because, so, because obviously we're saying that most ADHDers are having problems getting a job. And so I see it all the time. You know, people come to me and they ask, is it free? And I'm sure you hear that too. Um, Occasionally, yeah. Uh, that's why I put the price right out there. I, I People know it's not free. Once in a while, I will do, uh, it depends on the person and how they come to me, but occasionally I will do like a steep discount for one, one person for the class. Um, but it really, they have, they kind of have to show that uh, it has to go a step beyond in terms of interest, which is what I want everybody to come to this with. Like you don't even bother unless you're ready to take this dive and you're mm -hmm. really excited about getting on board and doing this, even with the money. You've got to be, you've got to have that kind of level of, I'm ready. I'm just ready. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. True. What do you yeah. think the biggest hurdle is with those with ADHD when it comes to finding a job? I think not knowing what you want going in with, uh, yes, this is uh, this, this job, not knowing what kind of employer you want to work for, uh, the be, going on an interview because you have, you can tick off some of the, the requirements of the job, but when mm -hmm. you walk, you walk in there, uh, yes, you might get the job, but once you get on the job, there's the, you'll see some bait and switch stuff going on occasionally. Oh, yeah. I've yeah, seen so, that. A, I've yeah. seen that a lot in stories where a person goes for one job and then they go for the interview and then all of a sudden it's a totally different position than what's advertised. And with my brain wiring, that that will not that will not work. I mean, first of all, there's that level of deception and disappointment, disappointment, and then the job may not be anything like the one you think you're going into, and may not fit you in the least. In which case, what happens when you're doing something you don't want to be doing? We all know more mistakes, missed deadlines. Uh, little things that are, you can't even explain, things you don't even realize are happening, your mm -hmm. attitude shifts. The attitude shift is a big one. That's a big one for people. And when employers start sensing that you're just not all there with it, you know, you've heard of those PIP programs, performance improvement programs. Are you familiar yeah. with those? I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, we I, I would like to get the statistics on how many people diagnosed with ADHD or 
put into those programs. I don't have those statistics, but my guess is a very high percentage. And once that happens, your foot, it's like the foot out the door. It's just their legal way of getting you out. So they put the pressure on, make it a lot more difficult, give you tasks that have nothing to do with the job, do all kinds of things to sort of make it very difficult for you to stay with it. So it's really important to, when, to really understand what you're looking for. You go in, first of all, asking, and here's, here's a question I would tell everyone, share with everyone to ask in an interview is a job that I am applying for and being interviewed for today, the job I will be doing on day one. Simple question. Watch their reaction. Oh, we mm -hmm. always have everyone do blah, blah, blah for 90 days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the question I think that needs to be asked and un again, unapologetically. And you, when you know what you want, you're going to the right employer, at least the one that you've done the research on enough to know it's the, it would potentially be the best fit, right? And the position mm -hmm. matches more of the working conditions and the values and the actual, what, you're, what you know about the position is enough of a fit that you would even go on the uh, interview in the first place. But mm -hmm. when you walk in, you have this whole ability to articulate what it is that you're looking for and what you, why this is the best fit for you. And indeed ask them questions about mm -hmm. whether or not these are the things that it is what it is. It says it is or advertised. And I think mm. you should go in as what I call a job creator, not a job beggar. Yes. So true. Because I mean, when you go in for a job, you have to have, you have to go in with a mentality of this job is for me. You can't go in looking desperate because as yeah. I've told many of friends, you go in looking desperate, they see right through that facade and they know right yeah. from the get-go that you're not right for them. Yeah. Or they, they don't perceive you as being a strong candidate, even though you might tick off all the boxes. But you don't know, the person that doesn't know why they're there and can ask very specific questions and articulate why they're there, that's the person that's going to be in the one down position and the one that goes in with that strength of knowing what they want and being able to discuss it, ask questions. They're going to be on a much higher level. Uh, and so it will make you even more competitive that way. Mm-hmm. So why do you think those of us with ADHD like tend to jump from job to job? Well, I think for the very reason of what I've been basically talking about is that not knowing what you want, not knowing what you want while you're there, finding out it's not what you thought it was, uh, feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed. The working, the big part of it is the working conditions. We talk a lot about working conditions. Oh yeah. And the importance of, uh, and I don't mean, I, I call it self-accommodation versus an accommodations plan. I don't, I think when you're in the right fit, you don't have to tell people what your diagnosis is. You don't have, it's not necessary to tell your employer. Uh, and you're only if you know you're in the right fit 
and and maybe there's one or two things that would make all the difference in the world in terms of your pro productivity and enjoyment of the work. Even then, I it's not that the ADA did not really set out to um, create an accommodations plan that really addresses a lot of that. So I've created what I call the self-accommodation plan, which means that you begin to identify all the, uh, all the many in great, great detail elements of your work that are important to you, uh, of your working conditions, right? So if you go into a, a job, the culture's not right, even the desk is terrible, the equipment's terrible, the surroundings, the colors, the bright, some people have all these sensitivities, noise sensitivity, light sensitivity, no privacy, mm -hmm. um, inability to even put headphones on so that you can focus on your work. All these different elements are not there. And including things, it even goes beyond that, like how far is your commute? What do you mm -hmm. have to deal with going back and forth? Uh, are there restaurants that you can go to for lunch? What do you get a break, or do they have the expectation that you're going to be working overtime, whether you like it or not? Man, I call it mandatory overtime. Mandatory. Yes. That yeah. sounds like exactly like what I've told a friend of mine who was looking for work at the time. I'm like, before you even think about a job, you got to know these things about the company. You got to know the area. You got to know what you want because yes. you walk in that job and you know nothing about this company or what's around them or what they're offering. And yes. they accept you. You're going to be miserable at what you're doing. Exactly. My, my question is, is how do you get to the part of get of finding the actual jobs like do you use indeed or zip recruiter kind of sites how do you get the clients towards applying for actual jobs so that they can find one um i i don't find those to be terribly useful i think that there it's it's I, again i've always liked the uh guerrilla tactics of mm -hmm. the back door you know who do you know and even not using the informational interview process for that, but sometimes when you do, and we do informational interviewing within the class, that's part of what we do, but we do it from the perspective of next level research, not getting a job, right? But very often you will connect with people who will put you in touch with other people who mm -hmm. are doing things. If you are talking to somebody and all of a sudden realized, yeah, I could do this. And I, I think I would love it. I would love what you do to do what you do. And that's those, going back first to those kind of connections to say very specifically what you're looking for. Who do you know that I can talk to? Those, those guerrilla tactics to me are more effective than going mm. to Indeed or something like that. Because yeah. Yeah. you know how it is, the online application process. Oh, yeah, it's uh, terrible. There are people out there looking for jobs and applying on those sites every day, and they don't even get a, a message back. It's it's no. bad out there. It really is. And then, and then there's the fact that the minute you, and I've had talks with a lot of people about this, the minute you check disabled on that job app, it's like they it's just over. bypass. It's over. They don't want you. They don't want to deal with you. They don't want to yeah. have to train you. 
So it's almost a no. I don't think that should be on there. I don't think that should be on there. They're not supposed Uh, to be able to ask it, but yet it's on every single application. And like, you know, Reed said, it's over. Like, that's it. I would never check that even with my diagnosis. I wouldn't either. Yeah, I would just, I put no. (laughs) Yeah. But but you are right. I'm not when it comes to the uh, disabled meaning I can't do the job or there are limitations to my ability to do that job. But if mm-hmm. I know I can do that job, I'm not disabled. How, how are you disabled from doing the job? That's a completely different thing. You may be, in fact, when you know what you want, you are generally more qualified to do that work. Yes. And That's my, mm, your on. productivity is going to be a lot Stronger than probably a lot of the people who are just there because it's a job. But because they're neurotypical, like I say, they very often can get away with just doing an okay enough job, being as productive enough. With They may be bored, but they can overcome that. With, with ADHD, that's almost impossible. It's almost impossible mm-hmm. to be in a work environment that bores the hell out of you and do a good job. I know that for a fact. I know that for a fact. I used to volunteer at the um, uh, Adler Planetarium, and I got in trouble twice. And they moved me to an area to help them doing a very simplistic task of going through photos and tagging them with emotions. And I just got to the point where I self sabotaged myself. And everyone I've told is. A chimp can do what I was doing. I was yeah. bored out of my mind. And my mom was, and my mom goes to me, they should have paid you to do that because you're a computer person. And she's right. Computers, yeah. it was my passion. It's my job. You pay me to do computers and nothing else. But they wouldn't yeah. do that. So I just self-sabotaged until they fired me. Well, that's what happened. Yeah, and I can relate to that because I got fired for maybe 15 jobs as a secretary. <laughs> <Besides>. <laughs> <laughs> for for not photocopying correctly uh, <laughs> so, yeah. you know i totally can relate to that i if i if you give me something that's boring and i can't handle it i'll do that wrong you know you you end up screwing it up because you that's what i'm saying if you're bored at what you're doing mm. it's almost impossible to do a really good good job yeah. at it would you That's say what... that more fast-paced jobs are better for ADHDers? Because I'd say definitely for for me, the faster-paced thinking that it is works out better than slow, boring. You know, like uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, not if you have like multiple diagnoses of say anxiety, like you get stressed out and anxious very easily. I actually do. I have generalized anxiety disorder and PTSD, but I find that that's how I work the best in a fast-paced environment. But see, that's really good for you. That would be a working condition that you would identify for yourself. Yeah. So there are there are other people that need uh, maybe uh, the kind of the kind of environment where the the deadlines are looser. There more there's more flexibility. They. Um, they have, they aren't uh, expected to do things at a, a breakneck speed, because often, even though we say we're great at 
uh, a lot of people are great at multitasking. I can tell you age-wise, I was too. And then it, there comes a time mm -hmm. when you're not after a while. You're just not that great at it. Yeah, so yeah. there is that multitasking ability. I, I mean, I've seen it in friends, you know, they'll start in one thing and another and then another, but it's great because they're so creative and they're so capable and they get all of it done. And it's, right. and it's yeah, it's, it can yeah, be fun. That means they're, they're probably, if they're in the right position, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and that being in the right position means a fast-paced environment for you. But knowing yeah. that that's the kind of environment that you thrive in, so it's oh, really not just me. I, I mean, other other ADHDers. Yeah, not 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 everyone. Not everyone. Of Some course, people, there's there's yeah. not a universal for anything. Yeah. So I I do agree that there are a lot of you see uh, people with ADHD doing like um, working in hospitals and emergency rooms and things like that, and firefighters and all many people in the military and you know there's there are a lot of people that with that diagnosis. But when it comes to work, it just depends on a lot of different factors. So that may be one of them, but it may not be. It depends on it. You really kind of have to put it in, into the right context for which you explore and identify. Right. It has to. Mm -hmm. That's part of what I consider self-accommodation. So, ah. mm. Yeah. Now, how do you help those who come to you, like narrow their focus down to what they want to do? Um, well, we go through the process and, uh, if they're still basically, uh, if they just, they decide they may need some more training, that would be the next move. What, what the class is meant to do is to give them enough information to recognize who they are and recognize the things they need to pursue or get more information on and continue mm -hmm. to research before they make the actual decision. Some people are ready to make the decision after eight weeks and other people still need to do use the tools that are available to them. They now have those tools. They now know themselves a lot more. They know what isn't going to work for them. That's a big piece of it as well, to know what doesn't work, right? So mm -hmm. it's not that everybody always comes up with this uh, clean, this is exactly what I'm going to be doing if they haven't done the entire, I always tell them if you haven't completed your flower, which is the roadmap, mm -hmm. that you aren't going to get the same results. So if they have a lot of personal things going on during that time, which people do, a lot of times people miss, they'll miss or they'll get behind or whatever. And so it just depends on the individual. Everybody is different. Some people know exactly what they want to do at the end, but they have the one thing that everybody has is more confidence in their ability to make that decision and not feeling lost anymore. Like there's no reason to feel like you're in this haze of, I have too many choices anymore. You can start narrowing it down and you can start looking at the top, the, the cream that's at the top, start there and getting enough information about that first and then going to the next thing after that. Uh, so that is the part that really makes a difference. It's just knowing that you have the tools and you know yourself better. You feel more confident in you as a person. You know that there are ways that you can make a move that is not, that is going to be a hundred times better than what's 
the way it's been before, which is just applying to a bunch of jobs that you might feel you're capable of doing. Um, it's just, it's the opposite of that. It's going in with real intention. So it's different for everyone. You know, I That's can't. so true. Uh, yeah, it's very different for everybody. And I try, I'm happy to continue to work with people after that, but at least we have something meaty to work with. Once they have that information, they have like the, the main piece of it done. Mm -hmm. Then we can go on and start doing a little bit more digging and I can do a little bit of accountability stuff, but they can also go to an ADHD coach when they know what they need to get this information. And instead of putting it off, have somebody hold them accountable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's when it's often good to go to an ADHD coach for a while here. I've got my roadmap. Now, can you hold me accountable to getting these things done until I make this very clear decision? Right. Mm -hmm. Ashley, you got any other questions? Um, yeah. So uh, what's the best part of being a career coach for ADHDers? Oh, my gosh. Let me count the ways. I wrote a whole <laughs> thing. I, ha I wrote a whole I have a whole document on. It took me five minutes. I wish I had it in front of me. If I had it in front of me, I'm going to get that thing in front of me when I do these podcasts. Oh, there's so many things I get for, for one thing. I love working on my own. I learned early on that I can't work for anybody. I don't like when people tell me what to do. Mm. Me neither. I you think 90% <laughs> of those of us who are narrow, um, distinct as I like to call it, um, prefer to work on our own instead of being told what to do by a boss. Because right. you that feeling Absolutely. of freedom, it's that feeling of freedom. It's a feeling of freedom, but there's also you also need to know what support you need. Yeah. Right. You have Ashley, who's a co-host, right? You guys support each yeah. other. Mm -hmm. I have a virtual assistant who's beyond. I uh, wouldn't exist in my world if it were not for her, right? So you got to know what support you need, and that's part of the working conditions piece that we do. Know what support you need. And not feel guilty about using them. Do not feel guilty. This is just part of you getting to do what you want to be doing. So I love that I can create my own conditions exactly mm -hmm. the way that works for me. I have this room that I'm in that's very peaceful. I overlook trees. I'm looking out the window now. Squirrels are going up the trees and all that stuff. That's really important to me. Uh, I have, I can work in, in any room. I don't have to work in my office. I can work in my bedroom. I can work. I just like that flexibility. I can go to mm -hmm. a coffee house and do some work. Coffee houses are very important to me and access to them. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, I love working with my tribe. You know, I love working with other people with ADHD. Um, I mm -hmm. love working with other professionals within the community, like you guys. I love working, uh, the, just the work itself. I just never get bored because I'm always hearing about people's backgrounds that I know nothing about. So I learn a lot, of, a lot about different fields, about different jobs that people have done, about their backgrounds, their educations. That's very exciting to me. And I love that I can, I can be very creative and right now, the whole work, just knowing that I'm going to be do, working on this, this workbook that'll be on Amazon in a couple of months is pretty exciting for me. That reminds, um, that reminds me of a question. I mean, you're yeah. writing a book. 
How is that like with your ADHD? I'm not, I have been writing it for the past 15 years. You know, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've actually been putting pieces of it together. Mm. So what I'm doing is just putting it into more of a cohesive uh, structure so that it can be offered in a way that people can re get a simplified step-by-step -step with lots of pictures. That's a big thing. It's very visual. It'll be, it's going to have all the things that my brain needs to absorb in information and to start wanting to do this kind of mm -hmm. work. Right. So that's, for me, it's just uh, kind of just taking what I already have. I will be doing some writing, but I've already done a lot of writing about my story. That's part of it. And it's going to be very different from any of the other parachute books because it's going to deal directly with my journey using the process with ADHD and creating the tools for other people to use. And that is exciting. I mean, I'm just excited and thrilled. And the, the people I'm working with are, are there's like 150 people in this department that, you know, I don't know who they're going to assign to me. I literally just said yes yesterday. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and she said, there's nothing like that out there. Uh, there isn't. I know there isn't. So I'm excited to offer something. It's part of my purpose as well. So I, I get the other reason I love doing this work is it's fulfilling my purpose, which I'm very clear about. And that's that has to do with um, uplifting people and helping people find their direction, find mm -hmm. the direction and teaching and using the skills that I've acquired over the many years, many, many years of life. And uh, there's just nothing. I, I never get bored. That's another thing. I never get bored. It's never the same thing every day. Yet I have a process that I've used over and over and over. Can you believe it? <laughs> the same thing. But within that structure is so much creativity and so much uh, learning. I just learn something new all the time about uh, working with different personalities, different people. I love helping people. You know, that gives me great joy. Um, should I go on? I mean, I could probably go on, but that's, those are a few of the things, a few of my favorite things. What is a typical day like for you? Oh, that's a good informational interview question. I always tell people to ask that question. Well, I don't work full time, but yet I I believe in, um, what's the word? Not working smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. I definitely have, I believe that 100% that you don't have to work your butt off to make a good living. You just need to find a way to do more of what you love doing and that you do well and find ways to, to bring that to the world. Okay. So my day is, uh, I, I only, I only do two classes. So the amount of time that I spend in classes is maybe five to six hours. I talk to people. I love talking to new people. So like today, I'll be talking to uh, a new person and I have a class later on. It's in the evening. So I get the whole day to go out and start working on this workbook. So I work on projects. Every day is mm -hmm. different. There's no way I can peg one day over another. I talk to 
people who are interested in the class. And to me, that's fun. I mean, I don't, I don't make any money doing it, but I always learn something and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy it. So even if I'm not getting paid to do it, I'm enjoying that piece of it. Whether or not they take the class, I try and leave them with something that they can take away. Right. Uh, so that's kind of, it's different every day, but it's a lot of doing a lot of the things I really enjoy in my work that I, I said to you before. All right, Ashley, you have any last questions for us? Nope, I'm good. All right, and I that think that we it. learned quite a lot. Yes, we did. And that is it, everyone. I'm Reed Miles. That's Ashley Simpkins. And this was Shell uh, Mendelssohn. And I'll see you in the next one, everyone. See you later. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Shape shifting, same player, different position. The definition can stick with them. Drifting through these layers of wisdom. I took a break from tradition. I move away from what's expected. Change the music ride the way but keep the message crushing this dimension is still deception every entrance have good intentions no exceptions and leave the rest up to the heavens your only plan to be the seeker and become yourself because more than half would you believe almost crafted to be misleading for the benefit of someone else i want to believe in the truth but only see what i'm shown got the freedom to choose but can't decide on my own follow what the group is thinking bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that i don't fit in I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't, I don't fit in. Hey, hey, yeah, I don't fit in. Applause. I don't walk around in the traps While you closing in the walls I'll be hoozing out the cracks And relax, don't breathe These are the facts Supposedly stutters Living a mask Suckers Keep moving along to the beat Brainwash, rinse and repeat Keep pulling about with the sheep I'll go, got and Eve Know what I mean? Probably not Honesty shots, it's fineness The only box I'll ever fit in Is the one that I die in. I wanna believe in the truth But only see what I'm shown Got the freedom to choose But can't decide on my own Follow what the group is thinking Bottle up my Till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking, bottle up my intuition. Till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Hey, hey.